Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. And for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Look, look, you were checking things out there, Bruce, looking around there for something. Yeah. I was checking out the set here, David. <laughs> How are you doing tonight? Where's the makeup team? At least at my end of it. Uh, good, Bruce. That was a really exciting game. The owner's fifth uh, victory in a row, um, 5-3 over the Tampa Bay Lightning. And um, it was that's a, tied for the longest winning streak of the year. And boy, did that has this winning streak ever come at the right time. And I remember heading into these last three games against Vegas, Seattle, and Tampa. Some people were worried they were going to get swept and lose all three, which was a realist, you know, not an unrealistic fear. Yeah. Um, the way they had been playing, and and yet they won all three, Bruce, and they deserved to win all three. They were, I think, the better team each game. All this game, although this game was by far the closest of the games. The shot, the grade A shot total in this game was, um, it's tented it like, or um, you haven't gone over it com- entirely, and we're not completely sure of this, but it looks like it's right. about twelve grade A shots each. With <coughs> um, Tampa with six five alarm shots, and the Oilers with five five alarm shots. So very, very close in terms of the uh, grade-A shot totals in this game. What's your, what did you think of it? Uh, a ferocious game, very intense. And uh, the, Oilers had, the Oilers had a really good start, and they dominated the first, what, 12 to 15 minutes? Yeah. And then uh, Tampa started coming on, and as the physicality ramped up, uh, it seemed like Tampa came on even more, and it's not like the Oilers backed down or anything. I mean, they were really both going at it pretty pretty hard, but uh, Tampa somehow willed themselves back into the game, and going into the third period, I actually thought they were the likelier team to win it. But uh, uh, big McDavid goal and some uh, uh, some high-pressure uh, defending and penalty killing by the Oilers, and a couple of times where Tampa couldn't quite execute on uh, good chances, and... Uh, and some good goaltending, which is going to be my good thing from this game, was the uh, uh, net mining of Jack Campbell. Uh, three goals against on 31 shots, so nothing really special on the uh, uh, you know statistical side. Was that 9.03 or something like that? And it's uh, um, it's uh, 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 but as you say, there was a, a goodly number of uh, of high-end shots by uh, by Tampa. I thought he was under under. Uh, uh, under the heat for a big part of the game. And I thought almost no chance on the goals. All three of them hit the post on the way in or the crossbar, right? The first one was a wicked shot off the post where the guy scored on the rebound uh, from right in front. And that was more of a defensive problem than it was a goaltending problem, let's put it that way. And then it was Stamkos <clears throat> scoring on a one-timer. I hit the post. I think it might have hit the back of Campbell's leg and gone in. That's never really saw a good replay. It was a little bit delayed. You could hear the ping, and then pretty sure it hit us. But again, that's not really on the goalie. You have a sniper no. like that firing it on the short side. It's hard to get over there fast enough. And when you did get over there, his foot was there and and turned out to be not where you wanted it. And then the third one, the deflection by Braden Point up under the crossbar, bar down. I mean, that was unstoppable. I don't think any goalie in the league has a chance at that. And otherwise, like, I think he was, uh, uh, you know, he made a number of real strong stops. And I just thought he was really stable back there, you know, and like, like 
pretty calm and cool and, and uh, froze the play when it needed freezing, moved the puck when it needed moving. And, uh, you know, far from perfect, but uh, uh, I thought a very solid game of uh, net mining against the powerhouse team. He does have good game management, and it's come to the fore since he's been more confident here and making saves. You start to notice little things like that. Like, he, he's good with the puck, um, and, he, and he makes good decisions um, when to stop the play and when not to stop the play. Yeah, I thought he was, I thought he was a good thing. And um, now that he's got five wins in a row, like, will they just keep r- rolling him out there against uh, Vancouver? I mean, it's tempting to stick with him, although at some point... <clears throat> I think Vancouver's the game for Skinner, almost for sure. I mean, Campbell's going to need a little bit of rest at some point because he's played now six games in a row. Yeah. With uh, uh, coming in in L.A. Right. uh, And the losing cause and then uh, rolling off all five of the wins in the current streak. And his previous start was also a win 4-2 over New York Islanders. So his last six uh, starts, six wins, 13 goals against. I mean, those are... Uh, and you know that very few of those are like defensive gems because the orders don't really uh, have too many of those, you know. So uh, uh, the goaltending has been uh, been solid and credit where due. We were critical of this guy earlier when, frankly, he deserved criticism and now he deserves praise. So for me, he's going to get it. So, Bruce, there was my good thing. This is our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast. My good thing... Um, I mean, there was lots of nice goals in this game. There was um, the Californian. The order scored a Californian, which is an outside shot that gets tipped in to start the game off. The power play goal was scintillating. I mean, the, you know, McDavid's pass to dry settle on him hammering it in there. And Maroon, you know, just punishing Maroon for his aggression there was, um, I had some choice words online, which I will not repeat, for um, <laughs> what dry settle did to Maroon scoring that goal. That was very nice to see. Um, Leon has Hi- choice words too, it appeared to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hyman's goal was nice. Um, you know, a real hustle play. And McDavid's goal, of course, early in the uh, third period was 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 Connor McDavid. It was brilliant. It was spectacular. But Bruce, my good thing tonight is, and I snuck in four extras there. My good thing tonight was the Oilers' physical response and uh, physical play right from the start. Um, it started with uh, Vincent the Giant, uh, DeHarnay. He he absolutely cross-checked. I don't know who it was early in the game. He I think it was one of their better players, actually, because they, they, he was out there against the top line, I think. Might have been point. He absolutely hammered him with a cross-check um, as the play was going up ice, and he didn't get called for it. And I was so relieved that that had happened. But he he was he was really nasty. Then he was sent out Dayharney to kill off a penalty, and he was like hacking guys and sticking guys, and um, you know just just enough, just borderline, not enough to get called, but enough to annoy them, mm-hmm. to take them take them out of the moment, to stop them from concentrating. And uh, he keeps doing that, and he's going to make a lot of lot of friends. Then uh, we have Darnell Nurse. Um, there's this altercation with Kane along the boards, and he gets Kane gets knocked over from behind by Kucherov, trips up Kucherov, and he stands up, and there's a scuffle, and then someone grabs Kane. And Darnell Nurse comes shooting in there like a human missile to take out the guy who's grabbed Kane. And my Bruce, my heart soared. I just absolutely love Darnell Nurse's response there. That was that was perfect. 
that's that was you know we're getting the sense again that this is a team that's functional and and is firing on all cylinders and that's the kind of standing up for one another that you see on that kind of team and I know some people maybe downplay that kind of thing I don't I think it's really important to stand up uh, for your teammates like that and 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 just good good for a nurse always has we, been David yeah all the years I watch hockey Teams that uh, that don't stand yeah. up for one another generally don't tend to be that successful. They they don't. It just they just just they're just there seems to be a high correlation, Bruce, between standing up for each other and having some success. And look at the way Tampa stood up for each other and, and used mm-hmm. physical play to get back into this game. I mean, it was all calculated on Marin's part to mm-hmm. um, yep. to agitate, fight, cause trouble, and get get his fire up his team, get him back in the game, including taking the fight with Costin at the start of the second period, which may have been a kind of a, a tactical error on the part of the Oilers. Like they're up by two goals then. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, you know, I know between periods, Bob Stoffer was saying someone's got to go after Maroon and um, make him answer for that. But on the other hand, you are up by two and you don't want to change the vibe of the game. But nonetheless, I like the, I like cost and fighting. And I think he beat up Maroon a bit. He roughed him up. The young guy uh, was more aggressive in the fight and what got a couple of jersey jobs in there, didn't he? He sure did. Those would those would hurt. <laughs> and you know, coming from Costin, mm-hmm. who is a great big strong guy, almost as big as Maroon himself, uh, I like that a lot. And best of all, Bruce, and this is when I honestly, ch- I honestly choked up a little bit when when Costin came to the penalty box, <laughs> and. And Nurse and Kane were standing there clapping for him. Welcome to the thin bin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I had a very strong emotional reaction. I was very happy just to see that, to see this team coming together in this way. The physical play, Bruce, and this is this is this is right right to the end, where in the final seconds of the game, the owners have a nothing power play. And the and the blood is so bad at that point that Evan Bouchard fires not one but two of his hardest slap shots right into the Tampa Bay Tampa Bay player trying to cover him, and um, I don't think Bouchard makes that play in a oh. game where the blood is boiling. But he he wanted to punish. If the, okay, you're gonna block my. You're gonna be that way. You're gonna get in the way. I'm gonna pound you. I'm gonna hurt you with my shot. And he did. And the other guy tried to Two fight him for a second. The guy went after him for the second one. I don't. That was Nick Paul, and I don't blame him. I think if that had been me, one shot would have been okay. The second one, sort of two seconds left in the game, and you're gonna wind up and hit me again. What yeah. I do to you, you know. Anyway, was more what what you know. The, the intensity was certainly between the two teams. And then somebody uh, gave Broberry a, a big uh, cross check at the buzzer too, and and Philip went after that guy. Didn't yeah. it didn't amount to anything, but there you know right to the whistle there was there was dirty stuff going on. Yeah. And that's never really happened in an Oilers Tampa Bay game, I don't think. Like they haven't been that f- hard fought, but that was a that was great. That, that was, was quite, a, quite vicious. You know, it was like two teams that are thinking maybe we're going to meet again down the road. <laughs> and uh, they're wanting to send a message to each other. And you know what, Bruce? They just might. So I like that. I like that game. It was another huge win, obviously beating a, a really good team like Tampa Bay is big for the Oilers. But this is the Oilers team, the, the team that we've seen in the f- last five games. It's honestly f- the team I expected to see all year. And, um, you know, you're not going to get stretches. The Oilers were really dominant, dominant in their last four wins. They weren't, you know, quite so tonight. They they won the game, but it was a much closer game. But um, this is the Oilers um, that uh, 
that should have come out of that Final Four um, appearance last year, last spring in the playoffs. It's taken them a while to get there, but better late than never, I suppose. Yeah, it's taken a, took a whole half season, but we're we're seeing uh, things start to coalesce into, uh, you know, players sort of recognizing and uh, and performing their roles. You know, yeah. like the the role players on Edmonton again, I thought had another strong game tonight with uh, uh, guys like uh, like Derek Ryan and Warren Fogle again that were were good in the last game. And I thought they were noticeable mostly in a good way in this game. And uh, they, uh, uh, Ryan McLeod, another uh, another solid effort. So that was a, that was a, you know, you want some, uh, you want your bottom six to hold their own uh, when the top guys are getting catching their breath on the bench. And lately they've been holding their own, and then some. I saw a stat today that said the last ten games the Oilers. With McDavid and Drysaddle both on the bench, have outscored the other team 15-7 at five on five. I think that's wow. over. I saw it was a it was on Twitter by by uh, one of the regulars, Matthew Panchishan, I think it was that came up with that one. I think it was 15-7. It was like a two-one margin anyway for for Oilers depth players. So you can't expect that to continue, but it sure is nice when it's when it's going on because. Uh, you know, when, when when your bottom six is outscoring and your top six has got the kind of talent that Oilers' top six has got, they're going to win a lot of games. Here's some more good news. It's the uh, end of the second period, and the Kings are down four nothing to the Stars. So, hope, fingers crossed there. And the, the six minutes left in the third period, and the Red Wings are ahead of the Golden Knights three to one. Still three to one. Good, uh, good. Yeah. The Kraken are ahead of the Devils, 3-2, and there's eight minutes left in that one. All right, uh, Bruce, let's um, let's go to our bad things. What's your bad thing? Yeah, I got to go to the uh, to the terrible uh-huh. line change on I think it was the second uh, Tampa Bay goal. It's the first. First goal. First Tampa first. Bay goal. Yeah. First Tampa Bay goal. And this was the first line change or the first sort of rotation of lines in the in the second period. And this was the line at the time of uh, Ryan McLeod, Derek Ryan, and um, uh, Dylan Holloway. And what wound up happening was they sort of semi-won a battle at the, at the Tampa Blue Line, forced the puck into Tampa territory a bit, but the puck went right to the Tampa Bay defenseman. And for whatever reason, all three Edmonton forwards just about fell over one another going into the players' bench at the same time. And it was Ryan. Ryan was totally in the right. Derek Ryan. He was the first guy. He his. I mean, the forecheck didn't did in fact happen near the door of the players' gate, and he just carried on, waved to the bench, and he was first guy off. And then. Um, uh, Ryan McLeod, he was coming up from behind the play, from inside the zone, but he was right on the on the players' bench wall, coming up, and he too waved to the bench and sort of made a little bit of a slow change, like he didn't really hustle to the bench. Uh, and then at that moment, Dylan Holloway decides that he too, uh, you know, from about the face-off dot, but in the middle of the ice, relatively speaking. It's time for him too to make the change, and he goes over, and you know he and uh, 
and McLeod are deciding who goes on the bench first. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, it's like a five on two for one or two seconds. And by the time that uh, uh, Drysaddle, McDavid, and was it Hyman? Was it Kane? Was it Kane Kane. that time? Yeah. Climbed over the boards. They were at a serious disadvantage with the puck going the other way. And Tampa's uh, players carrying it up ice. and, And... I don't suppose that the guys that got on the ice played it perfectly either, but I just... Oh, it was Pugliarby, excuse me, Bruce. Sorry. It was Pugliarby. Pugliarby, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, I just hated that line change. And Dylan Holloway, uh, I'm pretty sure this is the third time that I've singled him out for the same type of mistake. Making a change when he's the guy in good defensive position in the middle of the ice... And the other team's got the puck in their own zone and thinking, okay, now I can just coast off without sort of being, knowing that he's got cover. And there was a game, uh, there was one in the, I think it was against LA early in the season that was really costly. And it was, um, it was just a, uh, uh, the same sort of thing that his other line mates were changing and there was no cover and he just left the middle of the ice and all of a sudden there's a hundred foot lane for the stretch pass that, does the damage the other way and these are rookie mistakes but you have to accept them at the same time rookies are supposed to learn from rookie mistakes you can't be doing the same thing that you did got burned on before you got to figure that kind of stuff out and uh, you know because that's sort of a free goal for the other team and when you're not scoring much yourself you can't be giving up a whole lot so that's uh uh maybe i'm unfairly overly ripping on Dylan Holloway for this one because other mistakes were made. But to me, that was the critical one that where there should have been an oiler in the middle of the ice to disrupt the counterattack. All of a sudden there was no one and the, and the guys coming on the ice were seriously scrambling. Uh, yeah, we have him in our, um, in terms of allowing grade A shots, he's done it twice before where the other team's got a grade A shot off his bad line change mm-hmm. once against Vegas Okay. And once against the Predators, and the Predators scored oh, the goal. Right. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was one. It was. I'm thinking of probably of the Vegas one where he uh, maybe even got away with it that they got a save, but it was a you know just this kind of an egregious change when they're just you know there was no cover, and the other team instantly took advantage of the fact that the. <laughs> You know, it's one thing if you know you're killing a penalty. It's another thing altogether when a guy who's in position suddenly abandons his post and coasts off for a line change. And that kind of stuff has just got to be, got to be dialed in. I, I, I'll bet you he's he gets a little session on the iPad with one of the coaches tomorrow. Maybe Google to know, sit down with him and say basically what I just said. Wouldn't surprise me. There was lots of bad plays on that goal. Yes. Bruce, uh, my bad thing um, is the Jay Woodcroft's line matching, and mm-hmm. there's a caveat in that he solved the problem by the third period, yes. and it's okay. and it's one of the reasons that the Oilers did well in the third period. But he had his he went head to head with his top line against Point, Stamkos, and Kucherov. So he had Evander Kane, Leon Dreisaitl, and Connor McDavid up there, which can could can theoretically work, mm-hmm. except. Now and then, Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl, and Evander Kane all start thinking goal, goal, goal a little bit too much, and I think we saw that in this game on two goals against. 
Um, they were out for that bad line change. It was their line that came out on the ice and they all got a minus, or excuse me, it was Drysaddle and McDavid who came out and they got both got minuses there. Mm-hmm. Um, Drysaddle was, he did get to the slot and he, and he did fly by in the end. So he, I think he was partially responsible on that one. He didn't mm-hmm. take, he could have, if he had just stuck in the slot, like you're supposed to, he might've taken the, the shooter in the end. But the second, um, the second goal, CC puts it up the boards and uh, it's turned over. He's trying to hit Drysaddle with the pass, and, it, and he doesn't. He hits never the, gets to him. Never gets to him, and and they break in. And it's McDavid who's just a little slow and not intense on the back check, and allows too much space for the attacking Tampa player to come in and set up Steven Stamkos for a wicked one timer. I mean, you do not, you know, that's like allowing Leon Dreisaitl that wicked one-timer. You don't. You do not want that to happen. You have to be hyper-aware that that's not going to happen. But, um, you know, by then I was thinking, like, why are you doing this, coach? Like, these guys are starting to get eaten alive. Because it was, it, it started early in the second period. I think in the first period it was fine. Mm-hmm. But really, these guys, they came alive, that that point, Braden Point line. It, they came alive and started to take it to the McDavid line. And so they score that goal. And I'm thinking, don't have them out there again. And and I, and I we, t- we were talking about that in the comments. And lo and behold, they're put out there again. And this was the worst of the, this was the worst of the goals by quite a bit. Because um, the puck goes back to the Oilers end to Darnell Nurse. And mm-hmm. he's got to make a pass. He's skating backwards with the puck, I think. He's got to make a pass up the ice. And the Tampa player, or Tampa players are bearing down on him on the forecheck. Some players who are really good, who can knock the puck Victor out of the Hedman. fast. He's getting forechecked. And what do the three Oilers forwards do? Kane, McDavid, and Dreisaitl? They fly up the ice, all three of them. And Nurse turns it over. He he fails to make the pass, especially Kane was, was you know, was on his side of the ice. Kane should have been skating towards the defenseman. Mm-hmm. Probably McDavid to the center. And instead they were up the ice. And um, ta- uh, Tampa picks it off, and they go in um, on um, they go in on a rush. And um, Drysaddle comes back. McDavid tries to come back, but Drysaddle fails to make the play. McDavid's late on the play. He's he doesn't hustle back hard. Um, pass goes right in front of him. Too. Pass goes, yeah. Kucherov's pass went right across the blue line. Sure, if he had gotten on a horse, right, Bruce? If he had charged back, like you know, Brian Trotcha used to back check. New York Islanders, mandatory 1980 sports reference. And um, if he had done that, maybe he stops that play. And they uh, they take it to the net. And that this is when Point um, scores, I think, if I'm not mistaken. That's when Point yeah, makes that was the point goal. Deflects it in. So finally, after those two plays, Woodcroft, I don't think they go out. Maybe there's one more shift against that top line by by accident. But after that, he puts Nugent Hopkins out there, I think, for the rest of the mm. second, which is a much better match. And then in the third, he breaks up that line. He Good. takes David Dreisaitl. It was hard to do that. It certainly was. And, um, you know, I, I said it the other game, Bruce. In games when Leon Dreisaitl is the Oilers' best defensive player, I bet you they win 90% of those games. And sometimes he is like there. Leon Dreisaitl can be the Oilers' best defensive player, and I'm not putting all of this this defensive breakdown on Leon, but this was one of these nights where all three of these guys were out of sync on defense, and it was good to break them up. And once that happened, and in the third period, I don't have a complaint about any one of them. I think they all did quite well uh, in terms of their defense. They were all they were all good 
defensively in the third period. And they all can be good, but they just weren't good together. They, they I think they all had um, goal goggles on with Evander Kane back on their line thinking they're going to, you know, smoke, get smoking like they were, you know, have a, a little showtime like they did in the playoffs last year. It didn't happen. And uh, it almost cost the orders the game. So that's my bad thing, the, the, which, again, with the caveat that Woodcroft did fix it by the third. Yeah, yeah, he did turn it around after we we had the discussion after the three-two goal, and then they got the basically the next time those those two lines came out against each other again that they scored, and it was uh, I mean Nurse like he was on an island back there. He was. And he he was trying to pass, and Big Victor Head Headman of all people was forechecking him, and Nurse tried to pa- do a wall pass around Headman. Headman got a little, just a little piece of it, but just enough of a piece of it that the pass went hit the boards on a little flatter angle, never reached Kane, and then Kane, I don't know what he was doing because he didn't come back on the play at all. So I, did, I didn't see Kane very good in this game, I have to say. And, and, uh, he, he had a rough game. Yeah, and so he, uh, he, he was... Uh, Kind of victimized twice there. I mean, the pass didn't reach him because you know he wasn't in a good puck support position, and then he didn't react well when the puck got turned over because he was actually the closest guy to uh, the he defensive was. end when it happened. Drysaddle was all the way at the far blue line. He tried to come back, but he uh, wasn't able to, and it was uh, it was a mess. Anyway, it was. Uh, yeah. It was a mess, Bruce. <laughs> it was a mess. You know, offensive play, <laughs> offensive players could have their moments on defense. Is what I would say after watching hockey all these years, <laughs> especially seeing all these great young, high drafted players come into Edmonton in the last, you know, whatever it's been, fifteen years. It's just been an ongoing, you know, and gradually they do get better to the point now where I think Ryan Nugent Hopkins, for instance, is a really good defensive hockey player. And McDavid's on his way, and Drysaddle obviously has flashes of it, you know, and and can be a dominant two-way hockey player, you know, a, a monster on the ice in both ends of the ice. So, you know, and I'm just hoping in the playoffs they'll really tighten it up and um, focus, focus, and get it done. All right, Bruce, uh, your number. Yeah, number. Um, I'm going to just go with uh, with with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And the kind of night that that he had, uh, because he was wound up getting a very important role uh, and down the stretch in this game. Uh, and uh, after um, after the top line had all kinds of trouble against Point Kucherov and so on, I thought Nuge matched up against them a fair amount in the third. And let's get that number first of all. But uh, uh, yeah, he does have nice numbers, Bruce. We could pick. Yeah, well, and they're and they're really, uh, they're really uh, unspectacular until you dig a little deeper. But yeah, he played. Uh, he saw a lot of uh, Stamkos, Kalorn, uh, Sorelli, and then he saw plenty of Kucherov and company, and most of it in the third period. And on the night, he was like just no goals, one assist on the power play. Uh, and zero shot attempts, but he wound up this night plus three, Nugent Hopkins, with Oilers outscoring, uh, uh, outscoring um, 
uh, 2-0, and then he was uh, no doubt on for the empty net goal as well. Uh, with positive shot, shot shares, and just very quiet. No shot attempts, one hit, uh, but 13 out of 21, uh, 62% on the faceoff, Don. And this was on a night where Oilers were struggling to win faceoffs, uh, especially in the defensive zone. And Nuge was surprising by, you know, the rest of the team had 14 wins, 25 losses, and he had 13 wins, 8 losses. So he was doing much, much better than any other Oiler. Dry settle was a terrible four. Four out of fifteen for twenty-seven percent, and uh, so I just thought Eugene Hopkins was doing a whole lot of the little things right, and they well, he wasn't <coughs> creating shots. And I don't know how many Grade A shots he was involved in, but he was uh, uh, very safe uh, defensively, and he also chipped in, of course, on the penalty kill, a uh, minute thirty-seven. I think probably most among forwards, as he usually is, and the penalty kill got the job done on the uh, uh, against a very dangerous power play, second in the league, and and uh, I noticed him making some of the uh, good plays and clears on that. So, uh, like I say, subtle numbers, but when you dig into him, very positive. Played 21 yeah. minutes, so. He's really earned my admiration as a player in a way that he never has before this season, Bruce. Um, there's been games in the past where he flashed this kind of ability, but uh, his two-way play has been so strong. And tonight is an excellent example of that. He kept a clean sheet at even strength, mm-hmm. which may, means he made not one major mistake on a grade A shot against, which is considering his assignment, tough team against that he was playing against. That's just, that's really strong hockey. Such mm-hmm. a fine hockey player. And um, he's probably going to set the record. He, you know, he's in line to set the record for career games for an Edmonton Oilers player one of these one of these seasons. I'm not sure how far off he is from that, but um, looks like uh, we're lucky what, to have career games played. Yeah, I wonder how. Well, the record's how, how, 1,037 by Kevin Lowe, so that's right. going to stand for another uh, few seasons. Nuge, it must be what getting close to. Uh, Somewhere between six and seven hundred by now. Let me see here, Bruce. In there somewhere. Yeah, I'm looking down the road in the into the future, but yes, yeah, but he's, I, he does have a lot more. A lot of seven hundred six, seven hundred and sixty-six. Seven hundred. Okay, and he's gotten so, closer. Um, four yeah, more like seasons. Four more seasons if he stays healthy. Yeah. And of course, he's got six, seven more on his contract. Yeah. So. Um, Bruce, my number. Are, just revolves around Zach Hyman. He got two goals tonight. Um, the first one was a really nice goal, hustle goal, where he um, Fogel steals the puck and um, puts it. Did, did he hit the net on the first shot? I can't remember. He puts it in on that and then gets the rebound and puts it back to Hyman, who um, puts it in on. Mm-hmm. on I think on his rebound or was it on Hy- right. uh, Fogel? Yeah, Hyman. I think Hyman had both of the shots. Didn't he? Okay. Yeah, he gets it on the rebound at a good angle, but just just dogged stick to itiveness on the attack, which is what he's you know that's his greatest trait. Bruce, he is having an absolutely spectacular season as a two-way hockey player. He if he's not in the All-Star game, that's madness. I can't imagine uh, many wingers are having better seasons as a two-way hockey player than Zach Hyman's having this year. Great and he's not and in the All-Star game. Yeah, okay. Three orders. Three orders. McDavid, Drysaddle, and Stu Skinner, rookie. 
Well, the good, good, good for Stu Skinner. Okay. But Hyman, Hyman deserves to be there. And if there was a Team Canada, Zach Hyman would definitely be on Team Canada on the okay. wing. Oh, yeah, for sure. He'd um, be in the mix. If you look at the top Canadian scorers, he's certainly in the top 12. And then with his defensive play and his aggression, his penalty killing, um, what he brings to the team in terms of two-way play, he, he's a, he'd be an easy choice, I think. Anyway, Bruce, he has, in 46 games this year, he has 52 points. His career high uh, for points is 54 points. He's already got 52. His career high was set last year in 76 games. He's got 23 goals um, already. And uh, his career high last year was um, 27 goals. I just want to make sure that that had been updated. Yeah, okay, it has been. 23 goals, and again, his career high last year was 27. So if he doesn't get injured... Um, which can happen to any player at any time in the NHL. If he doesn't get injured, he's he's on you know well on pace, not just to exceed his um, career totals, but blow them away. So he and Nugent Hopkins are kind of having dream seasons in terms of their production, and they're both doing it. Um, Nugent will turn 30, or did he already turn 30? And um, Hyman already is, is uh, what's how old Hyman? He's... Uh, 30 yeah he's 30 years old so they're doing it 30 on april 12 oh it's april that he turns so um yeah so they're both um a little older for players to have career seasons but this happens too great for the oilers man because these guys are signed long term and this is what you want to see is them getting better as the age which which you know some players do they they do get better they they have great careers in their 30s it's Mm -hmm. really uncommon like, it is not common at all, but it does happen. And it's happening this year with these two guys. And they just seem both like spectacular individuals, uh, you know, like, you know, from what I can gather of, of them as people. So that's a nice thing, too, to see this happen to, to uh, good guys, so to speak, um, of the NHL. Yeah. Well, Zach Hyman, he's in a four-way tie for 16th in scoring. So he's solidly in the top 20. Yeah. He's tied with a couple of guys named Alex Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby. You may have heard of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, along with Elias uh, Patterson of Vancouver. They all have 52 points. Uh, they're each one point behind uh, Kirill Kaprizov and Steven Stamkos. I mean, we're talking about elite, elite players all up and down here. Uh, and Nugent Hopkins is one ahead of those guys. And then one behind Hyman is, wait for it, Austin Matthews and William Nylander of Toronto, each with 51. And so uh, Hyman is just right there with his old line mates, his old running mates that uh, he played with in Toronto. And he's not too far behind his new running mates that he plays with a lot in Edmonton. So it's... uh, (laughs) He's... he's, uh, uh, I don't think anybody expects 52 points in uh, 46 games from uh, from Hyman. I thought he could, I thought there was more than he. I thought he got more this year than last year. But I mean, he's well on his way to 80 plus here. He is the fifth leading Canadian scorer in the NHL after McDavid, Marner, Nugent Hopkins, and Stamkos, Zach Hyman. So the other forwards, those I think all those forwards will probably make it along with Crosby. Um, Bo Horvat's next. Braden Point would obviously make it. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois may or may not. Nathan McKinnon would. 
Um, then you have Tavari, Skinner, Kairou, Marchand, who would make it. And there's a couple lower down players who would also make it. But yeah, Zach Hyman would be on Team Canada without a without a, a, a doubt. I mean, he'd be playing with Connor McDavid. Bob and Zaminer would make it. <laughs> Is he the worst choice ever got, for a Team you Canada? You always got to have room. No, no, the worst choice ever for Team Canada, and I'm going to stick with this for the rest of my life. Todd Bertuzzi in 2006, the year after he disgraced himself and the game with his brutal assault uh, on uh, uh, Trevor Moore. And it was uh, 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 that he got, <clears throat> he got somehow got named to that team by Wayne Gretzky and company. And uh, the day they named the team, I thought this team isn't going to win. And they got beaten in the quarterfinals of the Olympics. And it, it was just a, uh, it was just a big mistake. When it comes to even strength points for Canadian players, which is a really good way to pick players for Team Canada, Connor yeah. McDavid is first, Sidney Crosby second, and Zach Hyman is third. Oh. So, I'm yeah. surprised McDavid is first. He's been racking up so many of his points on the power play. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're going to probably use that to keep the uh, Hart Trophy away from Connor McDavid. You know, he's just a one-dimensional player who only gets it done on the power play. There'll be some narrative, or they'll cook up some narrative. They got it done tonight on a great solo effort with the score tied in the third period against the <laughs> against the best team of this decade. So there's that. That was a five-on-five goal. Yeah. Which Canadian players are racking it up on the power play other than McDavid? Let's have a quick look here. Ryan Nugent-Hopkins. Nugent-Hopkins. <laughs> Marshawn, Marner, Stamco, Drake Batherson. Kale McCarr. I just hope we see a Team Canada, Bruce, in the next few years. When, when Connor McDavid's still in his prime, this is a... I don't mm -hmm. want to swear, so I will just say this is a fracking joke, what's happened in terms of international hockey during Connor McDavid's career so far. It is a fracking disgrace to the NHL and the NHLPA that they have not been able to get it together, mm -hmm. but mainly the NHL because they're the ones who, who don't care about it and they're actively fighting against it. It's, it's, uh, it just bugs the hell out of me. All right. I got one more, well, two more numbers for you, David. This is, uh, we singled these guys out last game or doubled them out, I guess. And I'm going to do it again just to bring it up. Uh, shot attempts with Philip Robery on the ice tonight 19 for Edmonton, two for Tampa Bay. And for Evan Bouchard, 22, three shot attempts. Like, it's puck. I mean, I think Brovery did make one mistake that resulted yeah. in a Tampa chance. <clears throat> and otherwise, the puck was down at the other end all the time. I mean, there's no other way to interpret numbers like 19 to 2. And, you know, it was, and they did get, they were on the ice for one goal, four, and none against. Uh, and they, uh, uh, they had another real strong game. And this is, again, just, of course, just five on five. So this doesn't count the, the Bouchard slap shots on Nick Paul. Uh, but it's, uh, I mean, those guys are racking up some pretty amazing possession numbers. And the coaches are doing, they're spotting them against the right, like third, third level competition. And this is Oilers third pairing, but Oilers third pairing is cleaning up on the other team's third, uh, you know, third level players. And that's fantastic because the third pairing has been kind of been a problem for the first half of the season, right? Bouchard was struggling, and he yeah. had Nima Linen as his partner sometimes, and Murray as his partner sometimes, and 
I think Bush plays better when he's with a steady partner is what I'm starting to conclude. He plays and, better with a partner who can really handle the puck, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I, I just wonder, so you, you can read this two ways, and I think that's really fair to, for you to suggest they're, that the coaches are doing this right. They're putting them out there against lesser competition, giving them a chance to succeed, and they're succeeding. So I shouldn't, so that's, that is completely a fair comment, and that may be completely the only lens with which we should look at it. But, but as I'm watching the game and I'm seeing them play well, I think, why aren't they playing more? Like, why aren't they playing two or three minutes more? But maybe it's, maybe there's a, a plan here um, to spot them, have them get some success, and build on that. So I, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. 16 minutes for Bouchard, 13 for Brobery. So certainly there's room there. But uh, somebody asked on the radio today, where would these, where will these guys be in, in a year? And I'm thinking, well, second pair. They sure. both have graduated second period, pair. And you extend the question out to two years. And might be top. Who knows? And yeah. They could be in the playoffs. They could be the second pair. I mean, Bouchard was the second pair last year. In, in the playoffs and can so can Philip Broberry play as well as Duncan Keith did in the playoffs last year Duncan Keith was good in the playoffs last year until he got to Colorado and then he wasn't good so um I think he could I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch Duncan Keith was at the end of his career and then um mm-hmm. Philip Broberry's at the start but Philip Broberry yeah. is an ex- he's really showing his class I, I'm 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 tickled pink honestly Bruce because I didn't think I thought we'd see a, maybe a bit more rushing of the puck and dynamic play, but I, I wasn't sure we'd see such great defensive play. Mm. And that's what's really making me excited about the players. Just, you know. Just eliminates just, guys, eh? He does, and he does it. He's just on them, and they, they can't do anything because he's so quick and so big, and he's got a great mm-hmm. stick. So good for him, and I like that little bit of aggression he showed at the end there after he got sticked. He was going after that guy. Good for you, Philip Broberry. Keep it up. Okay. And I know it, it's uh, it's not uh, popular to praise Ken Holland, uh, but I will say this, that by not pushing the panic button and making a trade in December, um, giving his team a chance to play its way through the issues and, and giving himself and, you know, his organization and most importantly, the player himself, and I'm talking specifically Philip Brobery, a chance to step into the lineup, play every night, and start to show what he could do. And at this point, I want no part of any trade that sends Philip Brover anywhere but Edmonton. And that's the exact post that I just wrote today because yes. there's all the kinds and of people right who on. are who are considering, you know, and and again, in, in the post I made clear, like I'm not in a position to evaluate Jacob Chickering's game. I yeah. haven't done the work. But the people who are pushing this this trade, are, have they done the work? Like to really have a solid assess of, assessment of Jacob Chickering? You know, I just doubt it. And from what I'm seeing of Philip Brober, you do not trade this player. I just think you will regret that forever. Um, you talk about Chikrin's contract and how good it is. I mean, Brobery makes $900,000 this year and next. Indeed. So Seattle won in overtime, unfortunately. Mm. Um, Vegas lost 3-2. to two. Good, good. And LA is, in, LA is in the process of losing. They're up 4 nothing still. And right, it's the game winding down. So that's really, that's good. That's a big, it's a big night for the Oilers because um, some of the other teams lost as well in the other conference, which is always, which is important as well when it comes to the wild card spot. I think um, Winnipeg lost and uh, um, Nashville. Nashville St. Louis beat Nashville and there was no loser point in that game. So that was good. That's the main thing. Bruce, let's uh, leave it there. All right. Thanks. Thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone.
And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.